Good morning, everyone. If you haven't received an outline, um, as Jared mentioned last week, these are the doggy bag for the message, okay? Not everybody likes to take notes, but you'll have some notes that you can take with you and uh, maybe digest some more good morsels in your own time with Jesus. Because we know the Holy Spirit's always working, right? He's working through God's word. So those would be great. If you need one, would you lift your hands? The ushers have them now and we'll bring them to you. Um, If you didn't get one, yes, we have a... Keep those hands high. You kind of feel like you're back in first grade? (laughs) Kindergarten, second grade, no. I know some of you have already spied my delicious snack. Okay, it's not delicious to some of you, but just saying, sour cream cheddar chips, it may make you nervous when somebody getting up to talk has brought their own beverage and snack item. I promise you that's no indicator. It just ties in with what we're going to talk about so well. Well, this is the second week of a new series called Grow Up where we're exploring how we can grow up in our spirit, our soul, and our body. And last week, Jared kicked off the series talking about growing spiritually. And it was such a great message, I kind of feel bad. He got snow day, okay? And snow day meant that there were a lot of people who missed that message. So I'm just going to recap it this way. He told us that there's three things in, in what you can do in one message. Three things that we could do to grow um, spiritually. And one of those was to do our part And one of those was to know God better. And one of those was to grow in our faith in God, our confidence, our belief in him, and our love for each other. So it was do, know, and grow. And that's as much as you're going to get from me because you need to go and listen to the podcast for the full meal deal, as Jared likes to say. I highly recommend it. He's at a retreat this morning. Next week, he's going to be back. I'm talking about the soul in its whole Today, So kind of a foundation and underlayment for the parts, breaking it into its parts and addressing those in our Grow Up series. So we're going to talk about the whole of the soul today. You know, when we talk about soul, we speak of having a soulmate. I think Jared's my soulmate. Men grow soul patches. That's so hipster. We give our hearts and souls to things. I mean, we just put everything into it, right? We also... Um, we talk about our soul being, um, having some soul food together. Now, some people don't think you can do that in Portland. You can only do it in the South, but honestly, there's a couple of good places to have soul food here in Portland. And this past week I pulled up through a drive through at Starbucks behind a car with soul. It was a Kia soul. Now who knew a car had soul? I know some of you out there believe they do because you've named your cars. Now I've named my cars, but it was never about their soul. It was always about their behavior, how they operated. Cars with names are not a good sign in my book, okay? So maybe some of you are Homer Simpson fans, but if you're not, you'll have to just indulge me for a moment because maybe you saw the episode where Homer sells his soul for a donut. You know, he loves donuts. Literally, he sells his soul, and he gets down to the last bite of the donut and realizes he's going to lose his whole soul to the devil. So he hangs on to that one bite. He puts it in the fridge on a plate and calls it his soul donut. Do not eat, you know, because he doesn't want to lose his whole soul. Well, he gets up in the middle of the night as Homer would, right? Head straight for the fridge. 
he caves and he takes that chunk of donut and swallows it down. And just as he's doing that, the devil appears and announces and takes him to donut hell. Periodically, people try to sell their souls on eBay. A woman did this after a car accident, put her in financial straits, and she offered her soul for $2,000. Now, fortunately, eBay has a policy against soul selling. It's not something you can do there, though people still do try. So her efforts were thwarted at selling her soul. And a lot of us, most of us are familiar with the International Signal of Distress, SOS. Anybody know what that means? Save our souls. That's right. Save our souls. That's a good SOS to put up to God, isn't it? That's a good prayer any day of the week. But today, we're going to talk about the soul and what it means in Scripture, what it means to God, the one who made us, and how you and I can have a healthy, flourishing soul, no matter what the circumstances of our life, no matter what the external things are going on in our life. So we see the idea of the soul introduced in the very beginning of God's big story in Genesis, the second chapter, verse 7. I want to read it. You can follow along on the screen or your device or your book there. The Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul, a living being. The first mention of soul then carries this big idea that the soul is the part of you that makes you a living thing, a human being, alive. It's the word psyche and derives from a word that means breath, quite literally, as in breath of life. Now, first mentions of a word or an idea in scripture are really important. So what do we learn from this first mention of soul in the Bible? Well, first of all, we learn that you and I are living human beings. Thankfully, we are alive. We have breath. We have the breath of life. But it goes beyond that. We are human beings made by God, for God, and reliant upon God. Now, the thing is, the word for soul in both the New Testament and the Old Testament, many times in the Old Testament, at least 25, is also carries this other meaning that isn't just literally physical life. It refers instead to the inward part of a person, the personality, the character, the disposition. It's the place within us where we find enjoyment and pleasure and where we experience desire. It also includes our thoughts and our reasonings. It's the place where we form judgments about things and where we make decisions about things. So the soul is a really big deal. It's an all-encompassing thing. And I wanted this graphic, which is also on your handout, to give us a visual picture of the soul um, because the soul is the inward part of a person and it includes our will, our mind, and our emotions. It's not quite as tidy as a little circle drawn on paper, though, or concentric circles. I like the metaphor that John Ortberg uses in his book, Soul Keeping. The metaphor of the operating system, as in the operating system of a computer, because just like the operating system coordinates all the operations and apps on a computer, Our soul integrates everything that's going on in all the dimensions of our lives. 
It's this huge coordinator of our will, our mind, and our emotions. It unifies it all. It coordinates it together. It ties it together. You could say integrates, as in makes it a whole and working together. Here's the deal, though. Most of us, at one point or another, perhaps even now, right where you are today, think that a change in our circumstances, a positive change, a new baby, a new job, a new home, a promotion, a raise at work, it will automatically upgrade our inner world. That's an upgrade to my soul. It'll make me feel more fulfilled. It'll make me feel more gratified. It'll make me feel more satisfied. But this is the stark realization if you've lived through that cycle several times. That is not true because we are not wired to work from the outside in. We are wired by God to work from the inside out. Spirit, soul, and body. And that's why it's important for our souls to be nourished and to grow and to thrive. And the question we're asking today, and hopefully answering in part, just in part, is this. It's how can we flourish in our soul no matter what's going on in our lives externally. No matter what's going on. No matter what our circumstances are. Let's read several scriptures and see three soul-growing tips from these three scriptures. The first is found in 1 Peter 2, verses 24 and 25. It says this. He, referring to Jesus himself, bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer, or I like what some other translations uh, translate that word, guardian. You have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. And the first soul-growing tip is this, give up. Let Jesus be in charge if you want your soul to flourish. You see, Jesus watches over and cares for our souls. That's what Peter's telling these Peter. And the people Peter's talking to are going through a really rough time. They are living in a time where Nero is dragging Christians out of their homes and using them as firewood for his dinner parties. They're living in a time of great uncertainty. And in the middle of that, he writes these wonderful words that Jesus watches over and cares for our souls. He's the good shepherd who cares for the sheep enough to lay down his life for us. And the thing is, every time we go our own way, make decisions that don't take God into account, we damage our soul. We need a shepherd and a guardian for our souls. Now, most of us know what a guardian is. That's a responsible adult who watches over, cares for, takes financial and physical responsibility for a minor child or for an adult without the capacity to care for themselves in any of those ways. And most of us know that a shepherd cares for and watches over sheep, animals that love to wander off and get into all sorts of trouble if somebody isn't guiding them. So what comes to mind for all of us in this first tip about giving up and letting Jesus be in charge is dependent. Our souls are designed to be dependent on God's care and direction and oversight. And I think in athletic terms, because I grew up and spent so much time as a swimmer and had a lot of great swim coaches. And in athletic terms, we have a soul coach. 
and it's Jesus. Now, everybody knows we got a spiritual coach, okay? And I get a kick. A lot of people do life coaches as well. But did you know that Jesus is the whole package? Spirit, soul, and body. He is interested in all three parts of us, and he wants to be our soul coach. My brother Joe was a quarterback on his football team in high school, and I can remember his coach didn't just talk to him about throwing the ball, which was the obvious stuff. He gave him instructions on what to eat. He gave him instructions on how much to sleep and when that would happen. He gave him instructions on what to eat to gain weight, which my brother needed to do. So I can remember the raw egg milkshakes, Uh, that my brother fixed. These were pre-Salmonella scare days, mind you. But I can remember those going down. I'm kind of envious of my brother because they also had a lot of cool chocolate ice cream in them too. That sounded good to me. But his coach told him everything he needed to know to be game ready. Now, what would have happened to Joe's playing if he had ignored, refused, or excused himself from listening to the coach? What would have happened? I think we all know. First of all, he wouldn't have been playing the position very long. But secondly, he wouldn't have grown at all in his skill. You and I are spiritual beings and we have an eternal destiny. We need God. We need to lean on his understanding of things, not our own. Not just his understanding of how to pray, his understanding about communion, or his understanding about baptism. We need to lean on his understanding of life. How to be a good mom, how to be a good dad, how to approach the boss at work over a difficult situation. God can help us with all of it. It's true, but sometimes we don't believe that. We relegate him to a piece of our life. So the thing is, we need to lean on his understanding. And to do that, we have to surrender to his will. It's the starting point for our souls to thrive. Rick addressed that before we ever got to the talk today. So how do we do that? I want to suggest that it all starts by living with an awareness of his presence and being attentive and responsive to his voice. You see, in an operating system, in a computer, there are defaults. There are things that are preset. If you do this on the computer, it will do this. And those are called defaults and, you know, autopilot, you could say. Well, my computer is set up with a printer, um, wireless printer, both here at the church and at home. But it has a default, and the default is what we call Mr. X. That's what we call our computer. Isn't that cool? Even computers have souls nowadays. So if I don't press a particular button, if I just press print, I am always going to be sending my project to Mr. X. I have to specifically choose my home computer, which isn't named. It's just Canon. Boring. So, but there is this default set. So I was driving to the beach for a meeting. I know what some of you are thinking. Yeah, what kind of meeting at the beach? Like a meeting with the beach, right? (laughs) No, it really actually was a meeting this time, which is where Jared's at. He's at a retreat at the beach. So I was heading out, and to do that, I was going down Brookwood Parkway to get on the 26th. And when I got to Evergreen Parkway, you know, to go through the light there, I just pulled into the turn lane. Now, I wasn't even really aware of it, so don't get scared when I go driving on the roads by you today. But I was just, my mind was thinking about so many other things, so I just hit default. My, my body just got in the turn signal, and I headed here to Evergreen. And so I just decided to go out to the freeway by going down this way, right? It took me six years, but I've got that default set now. 
in my life. That's the first time I've done that. It was just automatic, like I was coming here. So I want to suggest today, what would happen if our default, if our preset was set to go to God first about anything and everything? What if that was the first thing we did? And what if my auto response when I hear Jesus say something was yes, yes, I'd love to. That would be amazing. You see, what our souls truly desire is God. And an auto response of yes is better than a debate or an excuse or an ignoring God altogether. We can try to fill our need for God with all kinds of other things in our lives. And I've tried that myself. But the soul will never be satisfied. Your mind, your will, your emotions, they won't thrive without God. So King David admitted this regularly in the Psalms. I think that's kind of why he's called a man after God's own heart. Psalm 84, 2, what he say? He said, my soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. When was the last time you really just like, I just yearn for you, God. I just can't wait to be with you, God. I can't wait to connect with you, God. Psalm 42, 1, as the deer longs for the streams of water, so I long for you, God. One of my favorite teachers, mentors in this area, is a guy named Brother Lawrence. He was a 15th century monk who wrote a book. He washed dishes. That was his big assignment in his order. And he practiced living in the presence of God. He knew about giving up to him. And he wrote a book about his practices that have inspired millions of people. Even today, there's current editions. I read it first when I was in high school and again when I was in college. And then I purchased an updated version a few years ago just for references. But here's one of his quotes that I love. He said, think often on God by day, by night, in your business, and even in your diversions. He is always near you and with you. Leave him not alone. I think about me being alone, but I don't often think about leaving God alone, though I've done it on many occasions. Brother Lawrence discovered that the soul thrives and flourishes, not because of particular accomplishments or because of a particular assignment that we've been given, but through simply being with God. How many moments of our day today could we fill with a conscious awareness and surrender to God's presence and voice? Have you ever tried to keep God in mind all day? What if you and I made that a goal instead of a list of things to do, to get done. Psalm 16, 8, David writes these words, I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I'll not be shaken. But I like the way another translation puts it. I've set the Lord always before me. I've set him before me. I love that intentionality. The thing is, giving up always starts with being aware of his presence and attentive to his voice. But it really is more than that. It's also saying yes, not excuses, not ignoring, not a refusal, but saying yes to him. And for our souls to thrive, we've got to say yes to the best soul coach in the world, Jesus, the guardian of our souls. And that brings us to our second growth tip for our souls, found in Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30. These are going to be familiar words for some and comforting words for most of us. 
I love this invitation from Jesus. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you uh, and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And this tip, I like to call it link up. Learn from the expert. Now, there's two groups of people that Jesus makes this invitation to link up with him to. And I want to give you an image, kind of a word picture to carry for each of these. So the first one, I don't know, but I love this one. I can relate to it. She's, she's all tuckered out. And then this guy, he's been studying a lot. Ever feel like that? Though I usually am on my back by the time that happens or leaning back in a chair with that, with my mouth hanging open. But what this first word, when he says, come unto me, all you who are weary, that word for weary then, it's referring to weariness that comes from doing, right? It's the actual activity and effort and labor of it. Those who have grown tired because of their struggle and their hard work. But there's another group that he invites to come to him. And it's those who are burdened. And I like this word picture for it. I saw some stuff like this in Uganda. It was not uncommon whatsoever. I took a few, but I couldn't find my pictures. So I borrowed this one. But you ever feel like that bicyclist? Because hear what the word burdened means here. This is talking not about the, the work, the effort we're doing at, at our efforts. It's talking about what we're carrying, like a beast of burden. It's talking about what we're carrying on the inside of us. Have you ever felt like that's what the inside of you looked like? Stacked up. You're not even sure how it's all holding together. Well, One of the cool things that John Ortberg did in his book, Soul Keeping, was to give a few indicators of soul fatigue. And I've experienced this, and I thought these were good. I'm going to share just a few of them with you. Um, Soul fatigue indicator number one, things bother you more than they should. Great indicator. Number two, it's hard to make up your mind, even on simple decisions. Ever have that happen? I'm a really decisive person and usually pretty quick my decisions. But when I start seeing myself wishy-washing around and I can't really make up my mind about even something really basic, that's a great indicator. Third indicator of soul fatigue is lower impulse control. You cave on the chips really fast. (laughs) But seriously, you will give in to urges and desires when there's soul fatigue. When you start seeing that happen, it's a signal to do something different. Number four, poor judgment or lapses in good judgment. I like to call this the roller coaster of judgment. You know, good decision, bad decision. Kind of looks like a teenage graph, right? A teenage behavior graph. Good decision, bad decision. uh, Because of the roller coaster of emotions and things that they go through. So there's this poor judgment or lapses in good judgment. Another indicator is you have less courage. It was an American army general who said, fatigue makes cowards of us all. Well, here's what I've found is I'm a person who loves new things and I like change. But when I start balking at new ideas and new things, I have to go back and look at me, not at the ideas that are coming at me. It's an indicator that somewhere my soul has gotten fatigued, that I'm the bicyclist. I'm carrying things I wasn't meant to carry. And so... It might be that it's hard things. I love a challenge. I mean, Jared talked about how I love hiking uphill. Now, it really does feel better on my body, but I'm not going to go into that. But still, I'm, that's how I'm wired. I love a challenge. I thrive on that. And so 
that's great. But when I see myself balking at a challenge, I usually have a clue. Okay, there's some kind of fatigue going on. But here's Jesus' invitation. If you're either fatigued through your hard work and trying to hold it all together or fatigued because of what you're carrying inside, come to Jesus, he says. Link up with me. Yoke is the word he uses. Put his yoke upon us. And you'll find rest for your souls. And that promise in the original language, it's not just a promise for right now in this moment, you'll feel better. No, we're talking about a residual. This is something that's going to have an ongoing impact in your life. You will be a person of rest and peace. So a yoke. Many of us have seen them. In Costa Rica, Jared and I watched two oxen with an with a yoke on them, an old wood um, yoke, and it attaches around their necks, and they're side by side, and they have to work together. A yoke always assumes work. I just thought I'd say that. Some kind of effort. You're doing something together. I mean, you don't just hook up two oxen and then go, let's look at each other. You know? And it's not the easiest way to eat grass, I might add, or hay, or anything else, any feed. You do it to do something, to accomplish something together. And Jesus is inviting us to do life together with him and to learn from him. Because they play off of each other. We're yoked up side by side. Where he goes, I go. What he does, I do. That's how it works best. And what he's saying is that's how we were designed to work best It always requires two things, proximity and relationship, to be yoked up. Proximity and relationship. And that's what Jesus is inviting us to. So I was at Costco buying some things. I I was up in Marysville. I had helped my daughter after she had surgery on her hip this last spring. And so it was the two little preschoolers and Raleigh and just helping them for the week. And this was toward the end of the week. And she just really needed some stuff for Costco. So I made a run. And you know that... You do that with get your courage up to go, right? And this is one I'm not, this one I wasn't familiar with. So I got there, and one of the things I had to buy was a 40-pound sack of dog food for Smokey, their dog. And that was fine, and I made sure she'd given me a picture of it and everything, so I got the right kind. I got it loaded into the cart, and I paid for it. I go out to the vehicle, and as I'm starting to unload, a man comes over and said, may I help you with that? I said, yes, I would love that. Now, usually, I'll tell you what I say. That's not what I usually say. What I usually say is, no, I can get it. It's my upper body workout. That is an and line right there, right? When somebody offers me physical, you know, kind of help. You know, that's what I'll say. I was tired. And it meant so much to me. And when that happened, I just experienced in my soul this rest. I experienced this being thought of, being seen. And I knew that it was a metaphor for something more than getting help with a load of groceries. Because this is what the Lord said to me. He says, I make life harder on myself than I need to sometimes. That's what he told me. He said, not just with groceries. I insist on carrying the load by myself, or doing it myself, somehow ennobling that as the greater good. He said, I'm watching you struggle and wrestle and figure out which way you can get that in and how can you get that in place and carry that amount of weight. 
And he said, I'm right here. I want to carry it. I'm that man. I want to do that for you. That's what this link up is all about. It's about letting Jesus come alongside and carry the load for us. And it is easy, he said. He said his yoke is easy. It's the only time he ever used that word. Now, interestingly, easy is not a word about assignment. It's not a word about circumstances. It's not a promise that if I yoke up with Jesus, my life will be smooth and in a groove and everything I do be self-approved. That is not what he's saying here. What he is saying is that when you're yoked with me, it will be good. It'll be the same goodness that I felt that day of relief. Of It re-energized me for the task ahead. It made me feel so good that somebody was watching out for me. He's watching out for us in that way. That's what his heart is when he says, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And yes, I am going to say it, Jesus. That was easy. He is the original easy button. I am going to use that as my reminder this year. It's going from my office to home. Link up. And learn from the expert. And that brings us to soul tip number three, 1 Peter 2, verses 11 through 12. I find it interesting that these tips came to people who were suffering greatly at the hands of others. That they got these reminders about how God cared and how to care for their souls. Here it is in verse 11. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Soul tip number three, stand up. Say no to anything that distances you from God. Now, we like to joke about we're a church that sweats together, and we are, but I'm talking about a different kind of sweating here. I'm not talking about our efforts to serve others. I'm talking about our efforts to remove any obstacle, any desire, any I want, I need that we have come up in our lives that would stand between us and Jesus. And Peter urges us here to stand up to anything that would distance us from God. And as surely as these sinful desires will wage war, they will wedge themselves between us and Jesus. And he wants us to be ruthless in our saying no to that. So I say these desires are not unlike the physical cravings that can sabotage our health goals. So... Sour cream and cheddar chips. This is one of the first specialty chips that came out. Okay, I just want to see a show of hands. How many of you love these? Oh, I have company. I knew I was with kindred spirits. Okay, Jared and I, when these came out, there were only barbecue chips and plain chips. And then, like, I think these were the next kind that came out. So they're ancient. It's okay. But we loved them. And then we would use cottage cheese for dip. And we somehow that made us feel like, woohoo, we're the picture of health here. <laughs> And I'm serious, this was like, you've got to remember, these were, you know, our first 11 years of pastoring, we probably had these close to every Sunday night. So, literally, hadn't had them for probably 20 years. One day, about a month ago, I go into a convenience store, I'm on a trip, I stop, and there is a nice package of them staring at me. 
And all of a sudden, all of the feelings and thoughts about them came back to me. (laughs) And the memory with my husband. Okay, that's not true, but that was what I did. (laughs) But what they were saying to me was, I need, I need. I want, I want. They were talking to me. So I bought a package of them. And I'd like to say it was a snack pack. It wasn't. It was this, the family size. (laughs) Okay, and I ate half of them. I ate half of them. Then I rolled the bag up and tried to hide it in the car so nobody else would get them. (laughs) Oh, and now I want to tell you that they were as good as I remembered them. (laughs) But since that day, after 20 years of not having them, since that day, I've had them twice. This is package number four I've bought. So I'm not sure what I'm going to do with those. I'm thinking I'm not sure I can give them away here either, but... But that is my fourth time. What is my point? The war for our soul that Peter's talking about here, it's real. And it's a war of desires that fight for our allegiance. As surely as the desire for some chips waged war against my health goals. See, sometimes we don't see that in the context of our soul. So what do I mean about some of the soul desires? Well, first of all, I just want to highlight this. The soul always wants more. The Bible says this in Proverbs 27, verse 20, this way, just as death and destruction are never satisfied, so human desire is never satisfied. I'm never going to get enough of this. Never. So these desires that war against our soul can often start with a thought. But I just want to throw out a few of the desires that can wage war against our soul. The desire for control. The desire for security. The desire for significance. Because this is the deal. We can develop a way of thinking about those desires. We can try to answer those desires without taking God into account. That's what these desires that wage war against our soul are all about. They're desires in which we don't take God into account. So we were living in Los Angeles. We'd moved there July 20th. It was September 15th, my husband's birthday. We got our first water bill. And when I opened it, he wasn't around. He wasn't home yet, but I was preparing his birthday dinner. And I saw the bill. It was for $1,237 for a little less than two months. And when I saw the bill, my, I mean, I said it out loud. I was shocked and a bit frightened. I said, we can't afford to live here. I was just totally shocked by it. But I want to tell you something. That's how a thought starts that takes you down an account without God being included. Because this is the deal. Who called us to live in Los Angeles? God did. Who is our provider and our source? God is. But here's where my mind went. We can't afford to live here. We made a mistake. Why didn't they tell us it was going to cost this much to live here? I mean, this is in my mind. I had to stop myself in the middle of that. I had to abstain from that desire for security and to have all the answers in place. And I had to stop those thoughts in their tracks because they weren't taking God into account. They didn't have God in the equation. Here's another way that happens. 
we have a young couple come to us and want to get married and they discuss their finances and we, we get around to talking to them about where they're living and we find out they're living together and they say, well, we're living together to save money to have the wedding of our dreams. Does that thinking, does that desire take God into account? See, not a bad desire, right, to have the wedding of your dream. Nothing wrong with that. But that thinking that they were involved in didn't take God into account in their lives. We see God doesn't want them to live together before they're married. God wants to provide for them. He wants to give her a wonderful wedding. But he can do that without us helping him out. And we all know famous stories in the Bible of how other people tried to help God out. And we all have our own. So a great question to ask When these desires arise inside of us, whether it's wine, chips, or something for your soul, is this. Will this block my soul's connection to God? For our souls to thrive and grow and enliven every part of our life, we've got to stand up to every desire that would distance us from God, to every stream of thought that would set itself against God. And I just want to say this. I tell this to young women all the time, but don't settle Don't settle. You have the power. I want to just share a quick story. 450 students from UCLA were the subjects of a study where they divided the 450 students up into two groups. One group was asked to recall 10 books that they'd been assigned to read in high school. The other group was asked to recall the Ten Commandments. They had startling results. The group that was asked to recall the 10 books... Ten of the books they'd been assigned to read in high school cheated right and left, literally across the board. You know, they had their phones and Google, and they, they just watched it happen before them. The group that did the Ten Commandments, no cheating, even though not one student could name all of the Ten Commandments from heart. And this is what the researchers hypothesized, that just by... Bringing to mind the Ten Commandments, they understood I was made for something better. I was made for something better. And today, I want to challenge this. We know in our souls we were made for something better. We have the power of God himself in the person of the Holy Spirit who comes to live inside of us and help us live out our relationship with Jesus and obey him and follow him. And we have God's amazing grace that doesn't just make me feel good and know that I'm loved and accepted right in the middle of my mess, but it challenges me to say no to ungodliness. It challenges me to challenge a way of thinking that's counter, that's going to create a distance in my relationship with God. Stand up. That's the third grow tip for our soul. Stand up and say no to anything that would distance any desire, any need, any want in your life that comes between you and God. So God wants to grow us up in our souls this year. And this, these three growth tips, first of all, give up. Let Jesus be in charge of your soul. Let him be your soul coach. Number two, link up. Learn from the expert. Don't carry the load yourself. And number three, stand up. Say no to anything that distances you from God. And now I want to just reintroduce, and for many of you introduced, the Grow tool, a tool that Jared and I have used for about 20 years, but was introduced actually by somebody in the United Kingdom in the 1950s. So Grow, it's an acronym for this. G stands for the goal, establish the goal. Two, the R stands for reality. Examine the reality, the you are here question. Three stands for what are my options? 
um, explore those. Four is the will. What will you do? Establish your will. So I just want to look at those four for a moment with you and remind you of these. And this is kind of like the homework assignment. This is going to have to be the doggy bag because I want to honor our time together. And honestly, you just need to get with Jesus for a while to think about this. Here's the first one. Establish the goal. What's God's goal for me this year? It's not a self-sufficient approach where you, independent of God, have to come up with this. It's what's God saying to you about your soul this year? Where do you need to grow? Which of those three areas did he really pinpoint for you this morning? And that's where you set a goal, a smart goal. Specific, measurable, realistic, and time-bounded. I just want to give you one example there. Maybe you want to let Jesus be more in charge of your life by improving your, the frequency that you go to God first with. And your goal could be to set aside at least five minutes three times a day and focus on God with the sole pers- purpose to be with him, to listen to him, and to focus on him. Is that a smart goal? Yeah. It's specific. It's measurable. It's achievable. Achievable is important, realistic. Baby steps. That's a good way of thinking. So the next one is to identify reality. Examine the current reality. And you notice there's questions here to help you do these. Um, Examining the reality. I just want to say that sometimes people are clueless about reality. And you can find that out by asking questions. And guess what? That means sometimes I'm clueless. We all have the self-reporting bias. Which means that I judge myself by my intentions. So sometimes I'm not even as good as I think I am. Well, many times that's the case. So I can invite somebody into the process at this point of examining reality. That can sometimes help. You can tell somebody, hey, this is how I see myself in this area. You know, what do you think? Do you think that's kind of close to what is true? Or would you say I'm way optimistic? I'm an optimist too. So I really need my um, reality checks. So that's an important one. And this would just be now identifying your current reality. You know, your current reality and wanting to um, say yes to God more often and connect with him and grow in intimacy, it might be that you realize that you've been ignoring, avoiding, and um, refusing God quite frequently. And the first step might be to repent. See, that's what reality check is all about. So then we go to third, explore the options. Maybe you recognized yourself in the soul fatigue scriptures today and your goal in 2016 is to increase your intimacy with God and your reliance on him by spending um, some quality time with him each day focused on that so but what are some other things that you could do because here's the thing I find with exploring the options a lot of people come up with one option and they're off and running they don't take time to think through there's other ways I could do this And then what happens is, if that way doesn't work, if that first plan doesn't work, what do you have? Zero. You don't have any any, any other options. And there's always other options, other ways I could try it. I could take them from this. You know, the ones who succeed are the ones who don't give up, whether you're fighting an addiction or whether you're fighting a need for security. Not giving up. And so I really highly recommend this. Let me just give you an example. You know, when you say, I want to grow in intimacy with God and spending time with him, you could read the book Soul Keeper by John Ortberg, which I put a picture of the cover up. Um, Great book. Um, You could read the book by Brother Lawrence. So those are ones you could, if you're an extrovert, you might want to do that with some friends and talk about it and apply it to your life. 
You could go to Bible Gateway and check out their Bible engagement stuff. They've got 13 different ideas for engaging with God differently through art, through listening to music, through looking at ancient uh, prayer journals, through uh, observing the daily hours of prayer. There's all sorts of ways. I've used a couple of those this year. Uh, You could schedule a retreat of silence at a local retreat center. See what I mean? What else could I do? We could get outside the box if we help each other. That's all I'm encouraging you. Establish the will. That's the final thing. And where we see this self-sabotage is there, we see people who get a great plan. They've got it all in place, but they don't pull the trigger. They don't pull the trigger. There's lots of reasons that can happen, but that's where it could be helpful. Number one, to write it down. Number two, to engage an accountability partner to help you with that goal. Whether it's your spirit, your soul, or your body, another person increases the likelihood of your success, and writing it down does as well. So I'd like to just leave you with one of the phrases that I like to use to start off my writing the goal down is, each day I will, or this week I will, or this year I will, and then it's very concrete. But I've asked the band to come. And Jesus has been talking to us about our soul and about him being our soul coach and about giving up to him and linking up with him. It's all about us connecting with the creator of our soul and letting him enliven it and make our operating system flourish. So I want to just invite you to spend a few minutes. We're going to sing this song, Nothing is Holding Me Back from You. And I'd like you to just... Let the Lord speak to you. You may sing. You may drop out of it and reflect with him for a few minutes. I'd like you to consider what's the Holy Spirit saying to you today? Where do you need to grow in your soul? What do you need to flourish today? Let's do that for a moment. Jesus, we do just come to you and invite you this week as we are with you, as we give you our attention. Lord, would you help us to hear you and hear your goals for us, how you want to put our souls back together again. Lord, how you want to carry our load. Would you help us this week, wherever we are, not receiving your help like we should? Lord, we're open to you. We want to grow. We want to flourish no matter what our circumstances. We want to be in you and with you. In Jesus' name, amen.